Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Hundreds of families were displaced when the Auraria campus was built in the 1970s to house three institutions of higher education. On today's show, we'll hear how these institutions have expanded on a promise to provide free education, and we'll explore the critical role scholarships can play in degree attainment. That and more coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. People are often displaced from where they live in the name of urban development. That happened when Denver's Auraria campus was established. The 150-acre site in downtown Denver is home to a community college and two universities. The institutions offered scholarships to those who were forced out. And as KUNC's Stephanie Daniel reports, they recently expanded this promise. St. Cajetan's Church is one of the historical landmarks on the Auraria campus. Built in 1925, it was the first Hispanic parish in Denver. It's now used as an event center, but during its heyday, St. Cajetan's was an integral part of Diana Freitas' family. Well, my great-great-grandmother, she used to run, like, cleaning the church and feeding everybody at the church. In the 1940s, Freitas' great-grandparents lived a couple blocks from the church in Auraria, the oldest neighborhood in Denver. They raised 12 children in a two-story duplex. They went to St. Cajetan's for school. And they went to church here. Including her grandmother, who got married here. At that time, Auraria was home to working-class Native American, Hispanic, and Italian families. In the summer of 1965, a flood devastated the neighborhood. Urban renewal was very much in the air in those days in a number of cities. It was sort of the thing to do was to clear areas and then build anew. Stephen Leonard is a professor of history at Metropolitan State University of Denver. There was discussion among a number of people and a number of institutions about finding a campus for that could serve them all. So much of the neighborhood was demolished to make way for the new Auraria Higher Education Center. The campus houses Community College of Denver, the University of Colorado Denver, and MSU Denver. Businesses and hundreds of families like Freda's were forced to leave. I think it's traumatic for anybody to be moved. Their whole life was really based on this land. The families were compensated for their homes, and the displaced Aurarian scholarship was created for residents who lived there from 1955 to 1973 and their descendants. Uh, I believe that the city really wanted to honor and recognize those families that are giving up their homes. Thomas Hernandez oversees financial aid and scholarships for MSU Denver. We should be giving you an opportunity for you and your children to be able to come here and pursue your education. But the scholarship wasn't awarded until the early 1990s. That's when, he says, the schools finally made good on their promise. Really, it was this community involvement and families that said, we know that we were promised this and went and found documents and to really kind of come to the institution to say, how do we really access this funding? MSU Denver has awarded 305 scholarships since 1995. Diana Freda is one of these recipients. She earned a business degree from Community College of Denver and is now enrolled at MSU Denver. I have one more um, semester and then I graduate with my bachelor's. Originally, the scholarship only applied to three generations of descendants, and it just covered tuition and fees for eight semesters. 
This meant Freda's two sons were not eligible. It bothered her so much. I chose it as a debate topic because I wanted my kids to get the experience to have free education here at the college. Turns out she had the right idea. Starting next semester, all descendants are eligible. Funds can be used for graduate programs, and there's no cap on the number of semesters students can attend. Here's Thomas Hernandez again. Education is powerful and a pathway to social progression. This is especially true, he says, for MSU Denver students, more than half of whom are first-generation college-goers. So really, the more generations that we can contribute to this education process, the more powerful we know our community is going to be. My grandma used to walk this and play on this sidewalk and it's not changed. Diana Freda is walking through 9th Street Historic Park on the Auraria campus. The block, which is full of homes built in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, was the only one to be preserved. While her family's homes are gone, she still feels the presence of her Native American ancestors. There's like this kind of bond when I come through here, like you can almost feel the connection of like spirits. I don't know if it's our belief system or our nativity that's around here. You feel like you belong. Many of Freda's relatives have received the scholarship. And with the expansion, she's eyeing the future. A master's degree for herself and a college education for her kids and their kids. Stephanie Daniel, KUNC. As we heard, scholarships can be a critical factor for many in pursuit of higher education. A community organization based in Greeley is keenly aware of that. And this year, Hispanic Women of Weld County expanded their longstanding scholarship program amid the pandemic and awarded 12 scholarships to college students around northern Colorado, up from the typical two or three. To further explore the difference these scholarships can make, we spoke with Tricia Garcia-Nelson, treasurer for Hispanic Women of Weld County. We also spoke with two students who received scholarships from the organization, Victoria Silva, a full-time pre-med student at Ames Community College, and Jessica Elena Rodriguez, a graduate student at the University of Northern Colorado. Tricia, let me start with you. I understand that Hispanic Women of Weld County has been offering scholarships since the late 90s. Tell us about how that started and why it was something your organization wanted to do. Hispanic Women of Weld County was established in 1988 by the late Charlotte Rodriguez. We began giving scholarships in 1999, and the main focus was creating scholarships for non-traditional women. And the criteria we used was women over the age of 25 that were going back to school to finish their degree or that were just starting their academic careers. Um, this year, with the, uh, we had a new board and our main goal was to expand that um, because we did see a lot of participation of younger Latinas um, in our community. And so we really wanted to make more room for them to participate within the organization. And because our mission is to empower these women, we wanted to give them something that would help them advance themselves and make and really take charge of their lives. And so we initially expanded the scholarship program from non-traditional to also include traditional students. We saw that there was such a gap in the degree attainment, especially for Latinas. And so we really put our heads together. And again, it was just how can we help these women really take charge of their lives and be able to help themselves? Victoria, I'd like to 
turn to you to talk a bit about how these scholarships kind of fit into helping out students who, uh, you know, perhaps are non-traditional students. With the course load that I have and the class the classes that I have, um, often I have to choose between being able to access tutoring, being able to have a bigger paycheck, and being able to sleep. Um, this semester, especially, there was um, I had a migraine almost for a month because I was sleeping less than four hours every single night trying to get all of my homework done. And whenever I received a scholarship, I was just so grateful because it was the largest scholarship I'd ever received. And it wasn't until that moment I realized that I could just breathe a little easier, knowing that I wouldn't have to worry so hard about my paycheck and that maybe I could sleep in a little bit or maybe just, you know, just the the static of the worry that always goes around in your brain kind of thing um, wouldn't just be so loud in that instance. Um, and it makes such a big difference. Jessica, let me bring you in as well. What are some of the practical ways that a scholarship like this can can help out? So especially, I think, in my position of being a graduate student, it's helped out a lot. I know for myself, when it came to considering the different types of master's programs I was going into, um, ultimately, my final decision was based on the financial component. Despite, you know, being accepted into other universities, uh, I ended up attending UNC because it was Um, on the cheaper of the list. And in the reality of being like a first generation Mexican American, I knew I couldn't do that financial like ruin on my parents because they would, you know, they would support me in whatever means that may be. And I know just when I was doing my bachelor's at UNC, um, I always wondered how my mom managed to make up the rest of the funds for, you know, the little bit left of my bill that was left over. And um, later to come uh, find out she was selling a lot of her jewelry in order to help pay for my tuition. And so, you know, going into this master's program, the financial aspect really was a big determining factor. But to have, you know, these types of scholarships that support students like us has been really beneficial. Being the only Latina in my program, it takes a lot on you mentally um, to just not only prove to yourself that you can do it, but also to prove to the rest of your cohort that you can do it as well. But then when you also are focused to interact with, you know, financial aspects and, you know, a lot of economic things that are in addition to maybe what your peers are going to, scholarships like these really help you realize, you know, the importance of not only your traditions, but also the importance of highlighting people like ourselves in the community. It's difficult knowing that a lot of students that are underrepresented in these communities Um, have to factor in financial reasonings for their academics or the chance to pursue it moving forward just because they know they probably can't afford it. And representation in certain fields, I think, is a really important um, point that you just brought up. Jessica, I wanted to ask you, Victoria, to weigh in on that, too, because you're in a you know, STEM uh, or, you know, in pre-med, too. What what does that feel like? How does that look for you? Jessica made a really excellent point about making her decision based on financial things, despite having been accepted into other programs. 
I try not to make generalizations, but I think I can safely say that a lot of Latinx, Mexican, and Hispanic women are very, very hard workers. And I think that a lot of the paths that we would take and what we would do in education would look completely, completely different if finances were not an issue. Like, I, I can't even... It would look so different that it's hard to even speculate, you know, um, and I am actually really fortunate. I've never told my sister this, but my sister is actually a doctor and all I she's we're 10 years apart. And so all I really remember of her when I was younger was seeing her just do homework all the time, all the time. She didn't really. I mean, maybe she, she probably very well did other things, but. All I remember is her doing homework and I remember being just the height of the table and being like, why are you, what are you doing? And she'd say calculus or math. And I'd be like, well, why is there letters if you're doing math? Like, why isn't there numbers? Um, and just seeing what that looked like. And I remember very distinctly, like 10 years ago, helping her clean out her garage. There's probably easy 20 bins in there of all of her notes from the past years and years and years. And as we were going through all of them, Every single page had highlighting or notes on it. I kept trying to find a page in those thousands and thousands of sheets of paper that didn't have highlighting or one page that didn't have something circled and it didn't exist. And I am very, very, very grateful to her that I knew what it took and what it looked like to be a successful student to the degree that she was, um, because especially with so many people being first generation or maybe not having other people in their families that have done that before, you quite literally don't know what that even looks like. You don't know what the time commitment looks like. You don't know what the stress looks like. You don't know what the eating schedule looks like. It just, it's hard to envision when you've never seen it before. And so um, I think it's very important that there are women in STEM to, you know, show little girls, to show other people, you know, just to show anyone who's interested that you don't have to look a certain way and to just be willing to offer any advice or experience because it it probably sounds a lot scarier than it actually is, or maybe not even that it's not the scariest it might seem, but it just looks different than what people might imagine. So I'm really fortunate to have had that example. That's the first part of our conversation with Trisha Garcia-Nelson of Hispanic Women of Weld County and two Northern Colorado college students who recently received scholarships from that organization, Victoria Silva and Jessica Elena Rodriguez. We'll have more of that conversation in just a moment. And a bit later, we'll hear how upcoming mandatory federal water cutbacks stand to impact farmers across the region. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. We're speaking about the impact scholarships can have when it comes to college degree attainment with Tricia Garcia-Nelson, treasurer for Hispanic Women of Weld County. That's an organization that works to offer scholarships and mentorship to Hispanic women. This year, the organization expanded its scholarship program to offer a dozen scholarships to Northern Colorado students. We're also speaking with two of the scholarship recipients. Victoria Silva is a full-time pre-med student at Ames Community College. And Jessica Elena Rodriguez is a graduate student at the University of Northern Colorado. Let me ask you, Trisha, about the expansion of the scholarship program. As we mentioned, it was initially around two to three scholarships given out each year. But this year you gave out 12. Yes. How, how were you able to manage that? Well, it took a lot of hard work, um, a lot of hours put into actually being able to get the funding. 
we just started applying for all the grants that we could possibly think of. Um, COVID did limit our ability to have fundraisers in person. And so we did um, do a, a few different um, fundraisers online. We did receive a lot of donations that way as well. And, and <laughs> to be completely honest, we are a bare bones operation. And so we are operating expenses are fairly low at the time at, at this time. And so that also gave us the ability to focus more and put more money um, back into our community. And so initially the scholarships, like you mentioned, we were giving out two to three $1,000 scholarships. And in total this year, we were able to award $1,500. I would like to wrap up with sort of a forward look at things. Um, and I'll, I'll ask each of you briefly, what are you all thinking about the future? Are you optimistic, you know, that some of the things that we have talked about today, both the small scale things and bigger ideas will be enough to impact um, disparities in people attaining degrees? Victoria, do you want to tackle that first? Sure. Um, I think that's um, a great question about looking towards the future because so many things have changed about what people thought the world looked like in the past couple of years, um, especially with like the George Floyd protests. Um, I think a lot of people saw that they have more power than they thought they did. And a lot of people saw that they can make changes if they apply themselves. I mean, even just Jessica being like, oh, yeah, I'm in that program. Yeah, sure. Like, it just takes one little leap, you know, to see like how much power you have, how much potential you have sort of thing. Um, and I really, really hope that this movement towards empowering uh, minorities and people of color um, shows them that they can literally do anything that they want to do. They can go to school. And of course, it's not going to be an easy ride, but thankfully there's programs just like the Hispanic Women of Old County who will support you, whether you're non-traditional, whether you never thought it would be for you. Um, but there's definitely more opportunity out there and there's more normalization of going to school. And if you want to go into academics, you should. And that if you believe for one second that you shouldn't for any other reason than you don't want to, then you should just go for it and see what happens. Jessica, how about you? Um, just to add on to that, um, and even what Victoria was mentioning, um, community, you know, really important and supporting each other. Um, I know actually by attending the breakfast for the Hispanic Women of Weld County Scholarship, I was able to get connected with the only um, Latin identifying female physician currently at Sunrise. Um, Dr. Brenna Campos is just an amazing human overall. And she just came up to me and was like, hey, you know, you talked about wanting to go to medical school and becoming a doctor. Do you just want to shadow me sometime? And I was like, what? I was like, it's that easy? Um, I know I've tried to reach out to uh, plenty of physicians, you know, in the area and, you know, in different fields. And it's just really difficult to try to get that aspect if you don't have connections yourself. And so it really taught me an importance of connecting with your community and, you know, being in that room, like it's just as easy as going up to them and being like, hey, you know, I have the potential to help you with an opportunity. So, you know, here it is, like, you know, we have to support each other because the biggest thing is, um, especially in minority communities is supporting each other to get to the top so that once we're all at the top, we can help, you know, everybody else going through it, um, you know, down at the bottom that you can make it, it is possible. We have the potential, you know, we have the drive. Um, we just really need to be there for each other to get to the top. 
And Trisha, uh, let's wrap up with you briefly. How are you feeling when you think about the future? Optimistic that the work here that you're doing is enough to impact some of these disparities in the future? One of the things that I said when we selected Jessica um, as one of the recipients was that we were going to help her become Dr. Rodriguez. And just hearing her story um, really makes me hopeful because she's not going to be the last one. And really being able to expand our program and our organization is just going to help us uplift our entire community. And I'm really, really hopeful. And I'm really, really proud of our organization and all the work that we've done because it's, it's making a real impact and being able to hear the stories, it just makes it very, very real for me. And I can't, I can't wait for everything that we're going to be able to do together. Trisha Garcia Nelson is the treasurer of Hispanic Women of Weld County. Victoria Silva is a full-time pre-med student at Ames Community College. And Jessica Elena Rodriguez is a graduate student at the University of Northern Colorado, pursuing a master's degree in biomedical sciences. Thank you all so much for joining us today. This was such a great conversation. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so, so much. It was wonderful. And I just want to say to anyone listening out there right now in your cars, your home, si se puede. Yes, thank you so much. More than two decades of drought is continuing to take its toll on water supplies across the Southwest, and farmers are on the front lines. The first mandatory federal cutbacks are coming for some growers at the beginning of the new year. From the fields of central Arizona, Cronkite News reporter Emma Vandenindy has more for KUNC. Nancy Kaywood walks through her alfalfa fields. Except it doesn't sound like it usually does. This is supposed to be alfalfa, and you can see the seed lines. So most of this is dry and crunchy. This is some alfalfa, and it's, it's so sparse. You're not going to see much alfalfa out here. It's been this way since the spring. Now, in April, this field was beautiful green. This alfalfa was thick, and um, then the water was shut off to us, unavailable to us. Kaywood relies on water from the San Carlos Reservoir near Globe, Arizona. But the water levels have dropped due to the drought. The reservoir can hold over a million acre feet of water, which is enough to supply more than a million homes for a year. Now, it holds less than 1% of that. Kaywood received a letter from the San Carlos Irrigation District in March. It said her water would be exhausted by April 1st. And due to the location of her farm, She has no access to other water. No water means no revenue for Kaywood. You know, you look at this, and this was supposed to be profit for us, and we can't do anything to help it along. We have no water available. Yeah, it's a desperate feeling because there's nothing we can do to make water come down that canal. Kaywood could level her fields and start over, but the water issue still remains. And she isn't the only one facing a similar situation. Chuck Cullum from the Central Arizona Project says the agricultural sector will be the most impacted from water shortages, including mandatory cutbacks that go into effect in the new year. So our farmers will receive one third of the water supply that we would normally make available to them. So they're going to be cut by two thirds in 2022. With no water in sight, Kaywood's worried about paying the water taxes on her farm. 
That's 22,000 a year. We're, re we're paying for a product we're not receiving. And it's, it's very aggravating and very painful. But for Kaywood, this is about more than just money. Her dad farmed this land, and so did her grandfather. Farming is in our blood. We want to farm. We want to hang on to this farm because it's been in our family for 90 years. Farming is our business. Kaywood's dry alfalfa fields don't just impact her. Pinal County relies on alfalfa for the economy. Alfalfa and other crops generate nearly 30% of their sales. It's a linchpin for the rest of the industry in Arizona. That's Chelsea McGuire with the Arizona Farm Bureau. They actually rank in the top 2% in the total value of agricultural sales. So they're in the top 2% of how much is being sold off of the farm in the entire nation. If you think about it, alfalfa is needed for lots of food products. A lot of people say, oh, you waste so much land growing alfalfa. And we're like, well, do you like milk? Do you like ice cream? Because alfalfa is milk chocolate, milk, pudding, cheese. Alfalfa is dairy in the making. Right now, Kaywood is getting creative. Her son recently rented out additional land that receives some Central Arizona project water. That's where their current profit is coming from. But as McGuire says, that does not fix the long-term problem. The nature of farming is that it's not an industry that you can pivot to something different really, really quickly. Planting decisions happen 10, 12 months before you actually harvest a crop. We know we have to do something different. We just don't know what that is. Until farmers innovate further, Kaywood opens her shed door each morning. Feeling the same feelings as before. I just crossed the canals and I looked at them. I just burst into tears because that's our livelihood. And we have never, ever seen the canals shut down so early. She will continue to farm what is left of her field as she waits for water. I'm Emma Vandenine. That's our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we'll explore the political makeup of the state's newest congressional district. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman and Tess Novotny. Our digital editor is Jackie High. Brian Larson is our executive producer. And our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.